Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm your host, JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, Marcus. I'm like the Michael Bay film of podcast. I'm loud and sometimes impressive, but mostly a complete waste of your time. And back with us again, hopefully for a regular spot, but we shall see the Brian. I guess I'm also like Michael Bay because I'm full of product placements. For example, on IndiePlanet.com, you can find issues one through five of Mallow Man, <laughs> both on print and digital form. But you can't find it with a link. You must search for it because IndiePlanet is terrible. Yes. But Comics also for awesome. kids, words for adults. I can't remember who the person was, but it's an acclaimed comic critic who once said that this is the quintessential indie comic book. I hear it is. I, that guy sounds like a really smart guy. <laughs> or a smart ass. All right, so today we're going to be talking about actually returning to Above the Clouds by Melissa Pegluisa. We ran into Melissa again at Stockton Con recently. Marcus and I actually were tabled there. Well, I was there for the second day anyway. And Marcus was releasing issue five of Mallow Man, the finale of the first arc of the Mallow Man. I don't know, but what's there going to be? Is it going to be like a... There's three story arcs planned. So it's going to be like a story arc trilogy. Yeah, basically. A trilogy. Yeah. And then I'm going to do I need to stop making awful new words. I'm going to do th- I'm going to do really three really shitty prequels too. One of them <laughs> where Malaman's a little boy and you get to see everybody as little boys. Looking forward to it. And uh then being a Jedi has nothing to do with religion, has to do with science. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, it sounds like it's going to spiral out of control at that point. I don't know. Someone's going to have a two-sided lightsaber. And then you're going to go back and change the first five issues of Mellow Man over and over and over again. Yeah. And then I'm going to wait till the original cast of Mellow Man's really fucking old to do an, uh, the second trilogy. <laughs> so what was really exciting was that recently, Melissa Pagluisa did a cover for Adventure Time. And I, I don't know how easy it is to get a hold of it or not, but you could probably zap her and get some information about it and maybe try and grab it somewhere. But it is obvious if you've ever read any of her work or seen any of her art that it's her as soon as you see the cover. It's that gorgeous, just beautiful style that she has. It's incredibly distinctive and really beautiful. And so I grabbed it from the comic shop and say, set it aside and was just desperately excited to have her sign it for me. So I went over and talked to her a little bit and had her sign it and then picked up the new issue. So here we are talking about issue two of Above the Clouds. And it's actually a pretty long issue. It's over 30 pages. It's a good sized issue. And yeah, and it actually gets a lot done, which is really nice. Uh, you know, the mark of a, of a good artist, unlike myself, is that she's consistent in her amazingness if that's a word yeah she's really we we gush a lot but it's all deserved this is i would say of all of the indie art we've ever seen this is probably you know top three easily i mean i think that's really not unfair to no, anybody no, no, else I, like I totally she's really agree. very much a cut above yeah if you go to a convention and you you're looking around and you see kind of your normal stuff which is great and fun and experimental and taking chances which has so much value but Melissa is sort of someone who already feels like she's kind of already arrived in some capacity. She's already really hit this 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 height of skill and quality that is not normal in that realm. So we're all just going to get really impatient with her with for not having more and more and more content. Yeah, like, come on, make it fast. No, she's actually done this really fast. I want to say, gosh, it's been less than a year, maybe? Like, I don't know. When, when, I don't remember when it started. Maybe Brian can look it up for us while we're continuing to talk. Anyway, so because we were at recently at StocktonCon, we decided that we would spend a little bit of the podcast before we get into the book talking about our experience at StocktonCon because there were some fun things. I think specifically there was maybe two or three that happened. One at the table, one in the bathroom, <laughs> which was really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> the look on Brian's face, you guys, right now, it's, it's really great. He's turning bright red. It's not even his story. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm afraid of where that story is going to go. And a little excited, right? And a little excited. A little, a little excited. Just a little, just a little, just a little bit. Oh, he peed. <laughs> I peed a little. So, Marcus, why don't you start off with your bathroom story? Because that's obviously the one yeah, that's okay, the winner so at the moment. So, well, evidently. It's, it, <laughs> so, it's at the end of the day. Yeah, it's the end of the day on, on Sunday. So, we're wrapping up the con. And uh, on day one, my table mate got sick. And so, on day two, JP so graciously sat at my table and helped me sell comics. Um, but I had such a good time sitting down selling comics and just talking about everything that was going on that 
I didn't leave the table for the entire day. So by the end of the day, I had to pee really bad. So I ran my myself all the way to the bathroom um, while he kind of started tidying up the, the table and getting stuff ready to go. And by the time that I got there, people were clearing out of the convention and there was one person in the bathroom and that one person just happened to be Captain America using a urinal with his shield up against the wall and his head back. And he just said, oh, Jesus, that's good. Like, Only at a comic book convention can you see something as wonderful as that. It felt, it felt uh, patriotic, you know, in a sense, and it also felt like like I had geeky pride at the same moment. So those two things fused. It was a magical moment. It yeah, was a really, magical really. moment. So in addition to the cosplay hilarity of that, we actually got to see a bunch of really cool cosplay. Another one that I think we should bring up <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so bad, um, was the girl that was dressed up as uh, Lady Hulk. Or Hulk girl? What's the she fucking Hulk. She, she Hulk. Hulk? Good God, I'm pathetic. I don't I don't read Hulk at all ever. So that's why that happened. Oh God, we're gonna talk about the She Hulk thing. Okay. We have to talk about She Hulk. That's what's happening. So, <laughs> see, I got a blindsided you with that. I knew you were expecting something I was else. Not, I was not gonna go there. <laughs> so we're sitting there, <laughs> and and Marcus sees a girl in the She Hulk outfit, which is a pretty good outfit, and and apparently Marcus's friend is really a huge She Hulk fan. Is this the guy that always gets She Hulk punching out? A great white, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, there's there's a, a comic art collector uh, and filmmaker who happens to love the character She-Hulk, and he has a collection online of She-Hulk punching a shark. That's like that's his his thing. He has artists to draw, myself included, is different renditions of She-Hulk uppercutting a shark. And so we are at our table, and Wait, uh, this is online. This is online. Yeah, it's oh. online. Yeah. What's the URL? We'll put a link. We'll okay. put a link in the show notes. We'll put a link in the show notes. And, uh, and, and, you know, con everyone's cosplay of everyone, and there happened to be a She-Hulk, um, and people- A are very gonna, pretty girl. A very, very pretty girl. Um, I didn't see her face. She was uh, talking- She to was totally interested in this other table, not yeah, in ours. Directly across from us. And the way she chose to interact with them was to lean over onto their table. So she was like bent over with her butt facing us. For a good ten minutes. Oh, I mean, it was a long time. Yeah, enough time I mean, that enough I had... that it would have been uncomfortable after a while. But she was still doing that. Like enough. She time must have been flirting with the guy. She had I to mean, have been or no something. No question. Enough time went by that I considered like, should I do this? Should I not do this? And I don't. You know, people. But I'm sitting to this next right to Marcus, and I see him mulling this over. He's got his camera out, and he's kind of tilting his head back and forth. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> people are gonna fucking hate me after this podcast. I'm like, that guy's a pervert and an asshole. But you know what? I'm already dumpster baby racist. So let's just move on. <laughs> oh my God. I think we've established my level of maturity here. Um, so I get my camera out, and it's a perfect shot of the rear end of She-Hulk, and it's obviously She-Hulk with with uh, you know green skin and the purple and white spandex. And I sent it to my friend, and you know he was happy. I was I was happy. I I did my my. Uh, my male camaraderie duty, my wingman duty. Yep, yep. I mean, you didn't post it anywhere. You're not a jerk. No, I wasn't. But like... I mean, it's kind of hilarious that that happened. Yeah, this is things that only happen at a convention. The best. Okay, here it was my first time sitting behind a table, and first of all, a it's a lot of fun, and that's totally the side I want to be on from now on. Uh, but B, you see so much crazy shit. It's so incredibly entertaining. You're sitting down, just chilling in your chair. You're sharing something that you're really passionate about that you were a part of and or made completely like Marcus. And people just walk by. And, and if they're not like into your table, they just ignore you, which at first is kind of like, oh, but then eventually you realize that people are you, it's like the best people watching experience ever. Because geeks are amazing. And, and combine, they're all dressed up and just <laughs> you combine geeks with people watching and it's just oh, it's a fabulous experience. It is really entertaining. Completely, completely entertaining. And so one of the highlights of our people watching this was amazing. Was, if you are a fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie and if you are also a fan of the Avengers movie and have been wondering who's better, like who would win in a fight of those teams? We had a pre Preview at the con, basically, and we were center stage. Like they, it's almost like they were performing for us because there were two costumes. It was right in front of us. Exactly. Like they almost bumped into our table. Well, they apologized to us specifically. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they totally did. Go ahead. Well, okay. So we had Lady Rocket Raccoon, which is this girl in a skimpy Rocket Raccoon outfit with a big tail and an incredibly oversized, the size of her entire freaking body gun. And then we had skimpy bikini Lady Loki. And Lady Loki wanted to go check out something over there and. 
Lady Rocket really didn't want to do that. And Lady Rocket was a little taller and bigger than the other one. Like not, you know, like she's just like an Amazon woman. And so Lady Loki's trying to slip past her friend and Lady Rocket's like, nah, none of that. And she she at first is like verbally saying like, no, we're not going to go that way. We're going to go over here. And then pretty soon her friend starts to kind of emphatically start to jump around trying just trying to get past her. And the next thing you know, they're they're fighting each other. They're actually like like voices raised. No, like, I mean no. It's no not, it fist. wasn't like fist fighting, but they both had these giant play. So I mean, she had Loki's staff, and the other girl had the giant rocket raccoon, you know, like quad shooter thing. And they started like smacking at each other with it and trying to slip by. And they box and they they like smacked some dude on the back of the head. Yeah, and they were pulling a Three Stooges with a ladder routine where it was they were amazing. spinning around and it was just hitting everything and everybody. And it took a while, it took long enough for for Marcus and I to observe this, look at each other, and kind of smile and nod and be like, <laughs> "Yep, this is awesome," and keep watching. It's like only at a con, man. The exactly. crazy shit that happens at a con. Ah, good times, good times. Uh, you got a little stalker at the table, which was nice. Well, not so much stalker, but a very uh, oh my interested God, this person. This guy was a trip. And you. The, the s'mores guy? Yeah. Okay, so Marcus, his comic book is Mallow Man, and it's all about marshmallows saving the world. No, it's all about a crime-fighting marshmallow saving the world with his partner, Bacon Boy. Correct. Good I heard pitch. that one. I heard that pitch once or twice. Anyway, so Marcus has free marshmallows and cheap marshmallow comic books right next to them. And he's hoping that people will make the jump from free to cheap. And so people come to the table and grab a marshmallow. And then he's like, hey, you like free marshmallows? Check out a free or a cheap comic book about marshmallows. Mellow Man saving the world with his partner, Bacon Boy. And it's really fun. It was really a good time to see that. But it's a, a first of all, brilliant. Like having the bowl of marshmallows at first is kind of like, what? But it's awesome. I, I sat back for literally four or five hours and watched people get magnetically drawn to the table because there was puffy sugar sweets. And they didn't even pay attention to what the table was. They were like, hmm. I mean, how many times have people asked you the question, why are there marshmallows here? Yeah, and they're like, it's a marshmallow comic book. And they go, oh, it's like, holy Wait, shit, there's a marshmallow thank you on the for cover. Waiting into my pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. Anyway, so as always happens when people hear the pitch they hear marshmallow man a bacon man bacon boy right and they're like a why don't you have bacon (laughs) (laughs) which it's complicated but then we had this other thought the other uh, other day somebody came by and they were like hey you should have like a s'mores or maybe like you and a couple other tables partner and you know one table has the chocolate one table has the graham one table has the marshmallows and it's you know all that fun stuff anyway so we started talking about s'mores a little bit and so this guy who's like really tall, really pale, has this like bowl cut and and looks a little bit like Stephen King. <laughs> See, I thought of him as a older Jim Carrey from Dumber Dumber. Like a really okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Very much like that, right? So he leans in uncomfortably close to the point where I sort of lean back in my chair and he looks at me really seriously and he goes, have you ever had s'mores? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, with chocolate and graham crackers? Yeah. Like when you were a kid, right? Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had them over a uh, campfire? Yeah. <laughs> and we had this like really intense, creepy, like low voiced conversation. He's like, mm-hmm. And he sort of stands up and then grabs one, puts it in his mouth and walked away. And he kept coming around the table. So he was definitely into the indie comics thing. So, you know, he gets a couple points for that. But this guy was creepy, dude. There's some people that you'll see, especially because I give away free marshmallows, that they come back just so they can take more food. And what's funny is that they're obviously free. I tell everybody that they're free. There's a sign that says marshmallows are free yet people feel the need to try to like be sneaky and steal them oh, from dude. the bowl yeah yep you very, see lots of like little hands reaching through parents and mm, just grabbing one and going back in like the monster eye sticking out of the sewage in star wars episode uh four <laughs> it just really quick take one go back in no or like there'll be somebody uh checking out the table next to you and they'll sort of sneak a little bit closer to your table and their hand will come up <laughs> And grab one, and we're like, "Those are free." And he's like, "Oh, thanks! Ah, I got caught." See, the thing is, that they don't want to get guilted into buying a comic afterwards. See, here's Marcus's brilliance. Let me describe what's really happening here, okay? Marcus is like, "Free sugar," and people are like, "Oh, yay!" And they come up to his table, they grab one, and they go, "Is this free?" And they're like, "Well, it's free, and you also touched it, so it would be free anyway." So yeah, so go ahead and have it. And they're like, "Huh?" And so they sit there and they take a bite of it, and then he's like, "Let me tell you about my comic book." And they're like, "Oh, I'm having his free marshmallow." I might as well hear his comic, otherwise I'm an asshole. 
<laughs> I mean, how much of a jerk would you have to be to walk up and be like, are these free? Thanks, fuck off, and then leave. <laughs> oh, it happens, though. It happens, <laughs> but it doesn't happen a lot. It's way more common that people are like, ooh, marshmallows. And they go, oh, they're good. oh uh, are those free? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, thanks. Okay, let me tell you about my comic book. Mm, okay. Mm, I can wait until I'm done with the marshmallow. And sure enough... He got sales like a savage well, out of people too, that, that had no idea, were not planning on buying his comic. They were just like, marshmallows. So people who run artist alley tables at cons, that's your advice for the day. Free food at your table. Lots of fun at the con. You guys, Go to cons, you guys. It's great. It's not that expensive. It's a bunch of fun. The people there mostly are pretty freaking great. Well, if you're in, Stock- if you're in California, Stockton, Stockton Con, Con is off the is hook. That's great, hands great down my con. favorite con. I don't go to a whole lot of cons just as a civilian. I'd prefer to do behind the table stuff or, you know, press stuff. That that For me, that feels like I have, you know, more something to do. You know, I don't have a million dollars to spend and I'm not much of a fan art kind of guy. And so I tend to run out of Artist's Alley to enjoy. And lately, man, the the panels have been, like, boring. Yeah. And so that's my jam, though. I like the indie comics and the panels. That's what I go for. And so you can't spend eight hours, six, seven hours just doing indie comics and panels, especially if sometimes the panels aren't what you want. Well, especially if the, if the artist alley that you're at in that area particularly is the same exact thing year after year, and they haven't updated new books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Indie comic artists? Make at least one book a year. Yeah. Come on now. I know that's a lot of work. I know you got day jobs. And even though it's not what you really want to be doing, the day job that is, got to make time to do at least one comic a year. Because <laughs> you come back the next year and people are like, oh, it's the same thing. Awesome. See you later. Yeah, basically. It doesn't work very well. And then if you're Marcus, you come back every year and people are like, the new comic. Yay. I mean, it, one of the coolest feelings you can have as a creator, someone who comes back to pick up the next issue. Like. That's you amazing. Recognize their face over three or four issues that you put out. And Dude, some like... guy paid for his next issue last year and yeah. then showed up this year for it. Yeah. Someone paid for issue five in advance at last year's Doctor Con and was there within the first half an hour of That's the con awesome. opening and was like, I'm here for five. And I'm like, I remember you, buddy. Here you go. I was wearing my Malaman t-shirt when I walked in there and one of the girls that was handing out the Stockton Con swag bags was like, it's Mallow Man. I mean, they could have just been reading my shirt, but they seemed like they recognized it. So they were probably wandering around. And because you're popular with all of your marshmallows. Exactly. You know, the, okay. Also, props to Stockton Con. They had like a legion of like little tiny children in yellow shirts that says Stockton Con on it. And they were like giving out water, candy to all of the exhibitors. That asking, was awesome. They even asked exhibitors if they wanted help breaking down their tables. I know, yeah, right? Like That's was, amazing. Yeah, that that makes such a difference. You know, it's so nice. So it was a well-organized con for people who wanted to go to a convention and also well-organized and helpful for the people that are attend- that are uh, selling at a convention. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway, so. A great job by Mike Malaric. Yeah, it's a great spot. He does. He's killing it. I mean, year after year, it's grown. It was one day in yeah. a much smaller venue the first year. And this is what, the third or fourth year this now? This is year three, yeah. And year three, it's two days in a giant, giant space. So it was really amazing. Anyway, well, we've talked a lot about that. So why don't we take a quick musical break? When we get back, we'll go ahead and talk about issue two of Above the Clouds by Melissa Pagluisa. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us.
Welcome back to Geek Life. We're talking about Above the Clouds by Melissa Pegluisa, issue two, which we picked up at Stocking Con. So what do you guys think? Well, first of all, if you guys would like to read along, you can go ahead and go to at cloudscomic.com. That's A-T, cloudscomic.com. Now, we reviewed issue one and a little bit of issue two back in episode 66, and that also has an interview with Melissa on it. Hop over to episode 66, check it out. Oh, wait, just go ahead. Welcome back. So, <laughs> oh God, we're cheesy. All right. Oh, so yes. yeah. So so issue one a was really great. I mean, we've been fans of her work for a long time. She's been doing prints and things like that. And I think when I first met her, she was talking about working on a project of hers that she had decided to set aside to work on this. It was really actually great. We actually had her on the episode for an entire episode one time when we were talking about. I think it was tips for exhibiting at a convention. Anyway, that's a really good episode. So I'll put I'll put links to the episodes that she was involved in in the show notes if you'd like to check out more Melissa Pegluisa goodness. Just go ahead and let's listen to everything we've ever recorded. Just go that's, back that's the beginning. best way. Start, really with just start with two. episode two. <laughs> <laughs> episode one is 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 really rough, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, so above the clouds, above the clouds is about a girl named Eileen. Eileen, which we butchered last time, because yeah. But Brian was gracious enough to actually read all of the notes for each page when he was reading it online. You and the help. comments. And the comments, yes. Very, very smart. Anyway, so Eileen is the main character, and she's this short, curly, red-haired girl. Ador- red, red or blonde? Red, red is blonde, maybe strawberry, strawberry blonde? Strawberry blonde. Yeah. Adorable. Great character design. Incredibly expressive. Anyway, so essentially, I'll just recap a little bit of what happened in issue one, and you guys jump in whenever you want. And I, I think our format will be a little different this time. Normally, we talk about the writing and the story, specifically, separate from the art, first. And then we jump back in and talk about the art. But with this comic, as you'll hear in a moment, I don't think that will work very well. They're sort of one with each other. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're inseparable, the story and the art in this one. You can't really talk about them separately. It wouldn't work, I don't think. So anyway, issue one. It's the story of Eileen, and she's like one of the ladies at this. And it's not really clear about, you know, where they're located or what their language is or their culture. It seems sort of Celtic in nature, but, you know, it, I think definitely it's Melissa's sort of own spin on things. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, basically the warriors, the you know, the men have been gone doing warrior men, manly things, maybe hunting, maybe fighting. I don't really know, but it seems like they're kind of coming back from a long journey. And, you know, the the... The townsfolk, they sort of come out to meet to meet them, and Eileen is looking forward to seeing this particular guy that she totally has a crush on. And he sort of immediately goes to a different girl, <laughs> and she is crestfallen. It's actually her older sister. Again, now this is not something that you'll actually read if you just pick up the issues from at the convention from, from Melissa, because... The, essentially, the comic is split into two parts. You've got the part that it's a story about Eileen and her friend Sien. C- Sian, Sian, Sian. However, we're good at butchering names. It's here. terrible. That, that's part anyway, of what we do. So, Eileen and Sian, they're they're friends, and Sian essentially is an artist and a writer, and he's working on this story. So, he basically gives her the first chunk of the story when he come when when he comes back, and then immediately sort of wanders off and is starting to talk to the ladies and stuff. And she basically gets left aside. I get the sense that she's a little younger than the other girls, but still sort of of you know dating sort of age, yeah. and so but but she's smaller. She's not as voluptuous, and so she gets kind of sidelined, and you can tell that she's having a hard time with that, and that that the guys are not paying enough attention to her, specifically the one guy that she's really, really into. But Sian is really a good friend of hers, and you know can, you can tell they have some sort of friendly, almost brotherly, sisterly banter and interaction back and forth. But that part of the story, there's zero dialogue, none. A little sound effects here and there, a couple of you know action lines and things like that shown to... Uh, used to sort of show surprise or expression, things like that. But there's actually no dialogue, zero words. Then, when Eileen opens up the book that uh, Sian has been working on, his story, a tale about the guardians of this tree, the tree that has been dying, and this guardian basically goes on a journey to try and save this tree. And it's just gorgeous. It, I mean, it has this very sort of Studio Ghibli sort of deal. It remi- immediately reminded me of that, you know, protect the earth sort of idea, the very whimsical characters, beautiful, just oh, it's so pretty. Anyway, so, but that, that actually, the storybook itself actually has words. It actually has dialogue, voiceover, narration, all of it. 
as she's reading it. So basically, we don't get dialogue with the characters, the main characters, the characters at the center of the story. But the characters that she's reading about, we do get all of the information there. And so it's really interesting, and that's why I really didn't want to separate the art from the words and from the the art from the story because I feel like they're so intertwined because by and large, especially issue two, because there's really not a lot that goes into the storybook. And I think this is partially the reason why it's a much longer issue is that she has to rely entirely on visual storytelling, which I'm going to say right now, she absolutely kills at. Yes. It's barely ever even slightly vague. And it's almost always very natural and like you can tell what's going on. You can read into it a little bit more. Yeah. And sometimes it's almost like unpacking a relatively simple puzzle to figure out what they're doing and what they're saying. But it really requires you to look at the pictures and understand what's happening. But it's never confusing. Yeah, for me, it's kind of like, and probably describing this poorly, but it's almost like the opposite of a novel where you have certain descriptions and stuff. And so you visualize in your head what the world looks like, what people look like and stuff like that. With this one, you've got all the world and the people and the pictures. So you're kind of visualizing and imagining in your head what's going on in the story, which is also interesting since it leaves a lot up to debate. So like you can share it with your friends and be like, oh, what did you think was going on here? Sure. I also think that in the other comics I've read, this isn't the only comic that I've read that has had no dialogue. Yeah. It's it's Actually, not common, but it's yeah. definitely difficult and relatively rare. Yeah. But the one that we read before, Sunless Circus. Yeah. It's 32, which we 32. also mentioned um, Above the Clouds on. That was where we first mentioned it, coincidentally enough. He, you are like an, a, you've, you're insane. How do you remember all these things? So I have to disagree with you guys slightly. Okay, there's for me this is a 98% book. There is in issue two. There is one part where I had to kind of go over it a few times to figure out what was going on. Where is it? Where is it? It is the scene in which Eile uh, is getting Sian's attention while he's being while he um, oh, he's she's throwing papers at him. Well, see, and there's more confusing because I first when I first read it, I, um, I, I read it a little disjointed. So Marcus, here's your problem. You're stupid. Yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> this would be 100% if I wasn't stupid. No, no, no. Uh, my problem is that I read it disjointed. Uh, mm-hmm. I read for a while, and because I read them online, I'm keeping up with her online, I stopped for a long time, and then I go back and catch up. Yeah. By the time I caught up, in the scene where she's trying to get his attention, she hurls what I, at the time, thought was a rock, and now I realize is a paper ball that she crumpled up in the store. Right, in the previous scene, she had been writing letters to him. Yeah. And so... She tried to give him a letter, tried to talk to him, and he's kind of like, nah, I don't want to talk to you. But so, well, let's get into it. And part of it, he's got a welt on his forehead from where he hits him with the paper. So So I can totally understand where you get that from. Yeah. And just the, that scene in general, I wasn't positive what was going on because he's also in the middle of being shaved by a very, very attractive woman. And, um, his face. (laughs) <laughs> you're just grinning over here <laughs> i mean what do you want me to do i'm sorry just joking just joking we got I'm, we I'm, got we got my my awesome con picture story in here today <laughs> we got dumpster babies last time and now i'm getting distracted by bosoms in comic books to the point where i don't know what's going on so, sidebar real quick or side note real quick when marcus and i first got up here today talking about today's comic and, and today's show getting ready Marcus was telling me that he and his wife were listening to last week's episode, and she was like, nope, I'm done. I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> She's yeah. like, I can't believe the things that you're saying. <laughs> so, yeah. And I want to share that joy with everyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, world. Anyway, so, yeah, so he's uh, he's he's basically been injured, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get a story away, because yeah, like, but- like Brian said, you can interpret a lot what's going on, but one of the things that does happen is that he gets injured, and he's being taken care of. And then it's really sort of sweet because he goes through, I mean, obviously a long period of time of being, I mean, at least a couple of days of being down, like bedridden. Yeah. And he's getting taken care of here and there. And she keeps trying to come in and see him. And she's always treated as a bit of a nuisance. Yes. You know? And so pretty soon she's like, you know what? I'm just going to send him messages. Except instead of giving him messages like a normal person, she's like, I know I'm going to bowl him up into a paper ball and then smack him on the head with him from the doorway. Because they well, can't kick me out if I'm outside the door. My interpretation is that it's, she's jealous because there is yeah. a very attractive woman basically taking care of him. Yeah, but I and get she's the sense that of both of them. Well, but I was going to say, I get the sense that both of them have other love interests than yeah. each other. Yeah, so the way that I see it is that Sion's in love with Eileen's older sister, who is in love with the guy that Eileen's in love with, 
And so they have these unrequited loves for people that are in love. It's a love square. It's a love square or, yeah, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Or two love triangles. Yeah, I guess you could say it that way. But then again, I like the love square. It makes so much less and more sense. (laughs) Yes. Moving on. Anyway, so there's definitely some unrequited love going on here. But issue two is really focusing on the relationship of Aili and Sian. And they're both sad that the person that they care about and they're interested in is with someone else. And the people that they're interested in and, and want to be with are with each other. Yes. <laughs> you know. And I got to say, there was a scene where um, they're outside of Sion's room after he just, like, gets injured. Right. And the um, those two people that are in love with each other, the, the male guy, I was just like, what a douche. He's <laughs> trying to make a move on this person while a friend of theirs is, like, seriously injured. He seems totally oblivious that Sion feels the way he does. Yeah. You know, there's no, there, there's no like care taken to not be having public displays of affection in front of them. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just off in their own little lovey-dovey world. Yeah. But so, yeah, the, um, so, but you're saying, so the scene where the, the paper comes flying through the door and it ends up, ends up being really actually sweet when it kind of all unfolds. And, you know, I guess, I guess to defend the book from what you were saying, I feel like there perhaps are a couple points in the book where the visual, purely visual storytelling, I'm sure, made it more difficult and in some ways even hampered a little bit subtle character development that's going on here because it's not super action packed, this issue. There are a couple scenes that are exciting and some there's some big, you know, full body shots and movements and things like that, especially where Sian gets hurt. But much of this is subtle. It's, you know, talking heads, shoulders up, busts, you know, of people looking and, and these very expressive facial expressions and, you know, the, the looks and the camera angles. It's all done very carefully to allow for us to understand and sort of glean what's going on, even though there's no words. Right. It was really, it was really, for the most part, very, very successful. And what I was going to say, defending, like I said, against what your point was earlier, is that Yes, there are a few scenes where it's kind of like, wait, what's going on there? But by the time you get to the end of the book, everything is clear. And I also think that it could be partially because you were reading it in pieces like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just reading through the book. I totally attribute it to the fact that I've been reading it disjointedly. I mean, obviously, with any comic book, the best way to read it is just to sit down and read the entire issue as it was meant to be read. That's the point. That's why we put it as comic book creators in a package of an issue. We don't give out one page a week. We do that online, but that's not the best reading experience for the entirety. And I feel like even after something has been coming out for a while like that, it's nice to sit down and just go through it all. Yeah, for sure. And what's awesome is Melissa was smart. She put an archive section, which breaks each chapter down. Totally, totally. Her website's really a lot like her art. It is very clean and economical. Although it's got one minor complaint. You got to get rid of the host monster fave icon that's on top of the page. You need to know how email us. We'll tell you how to do that. Oh, the favicon. Yeah, yeah, we can help you with that. Yeah, <laughs> her. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say just that we had didn't say in the last podcast about the beauty of her artwork in general. But there is one page in particular that I want to give note to, and it is oh, while yeah. she is walking away from Sian uh, as he's recovering, and her combined um, of Eily, what's her name? Eily, yes. Eily, a crow, and the smoke coming from a candle is beautiful. That That's a poster. needs to be a poster. It needs to be a poster. It does need to be a poster. There's there's a lot of stuff that could be a poster in this, really. But that in particular, I completely agree with you. When I was reading through that, I paused and, you know, just where's Waldo on that thing? I just, just stared at it and stared at it because it's so beautiful. Just oh, it's so, I mean, it reminds me of the scene in the first issue where the caretaker is talking to the nature spirit that is comprised of all the birds that helped save the caretaker, right? The caretaker like gets kind of pulled away from this catastrophe that's happening. And then all the birds that were sort of saving him or her, it's ambiguous so far as to the, the gender, all of them sort of come together and form into this personification of like nature spirit sort of creature. And then they have this conversation, but that scene also just blew my freaking mind. It's so beautiful. So there's a lot of really fine work in this. And the thing that's cool about it is that we knew going into this, reading the first issue, let alone coming into the second issue, we knew that Melissa's work was really, really top level. 
but the storytelling is actually like genuinely endearing and grabbing. It makes you care about the characters. You want to know what happens next. Even in issue two, which I think arguably is probably one of the hardest storytelling-wise pieces to keep the audience's interest because she's using of the two styles where you've got the storybook with the actual dialogue and then the story story with no dialogue. Almost the entirety of issue two is all just in the normal world where there's no dialogue. Talk about a challenge. I mean, the level that her work will be ongoingly after she's finished with this project her visual storytelling will be on a whole other level where she's going to be able to be really economic with her words, which I think is really incredible. So, yeah, it, I know that we're just kind of saying the same things over and over again because there's not much more to say. It's a really great book. You should go read it at cloudcomics.com, Above the Clouds by Melissa Pegluisa. I mean, if this is the first time that you've heard us review Above the Clouds, you didn't catch the last episode, well, shame on you because we gave you a break to go listen to it. But second of <laughs> <Yeah>. all, um, <laughs> if this is the first one, her comic could basically be used as a really, really great study for how you can use um, translucent colors, opaque colors, using the colors for your light art instead of just straight black, um, and how to tell a story without dialogue. It's produced well enough that it can be used as an educational tool. I think so. I would really love to have, like, sit down, invite her back into the studio, and pick her brain about what she's learned advice she has to give, things she wish she knew going into this project about visual storytelling without dialogue and without narration, that it's just pictures telling stories and somehow she still manages to get across the idea. I mean, it's, it's really, that's amazing. It's amazing. And she's successful at it, which is even more amazing. It's not just she's taking on this big challenge as an independent comic artist. She's being successful at it, which is pretty incredible. So... Anyway, so I think I think uh, that's about it, you guys, for today. So just so that the listeners know, since I'm, I haven't been on the show for a while, with my artist skills, I'm back at square one, somewhat literally. I'm down to drawing rectangles again, just Yay. so that I can get some experience with art. Yeah, Brian's been um, practicing. Yeah. So I'm just curious. This is watercolor, isn't it? Or This is all computer. Totally is it all computer? Totally digital. Okay. Totally digital. Yeah, I was curious, because it looked very watercolory. It's totally digital. Okay. It is it is a watercolor kind of look. Yes. But it's all very pastel pastel type colors. Yes. No, this is on the computer. She's using textures. She's yeah, it's this is this is kind of really high level computer comic book creation. Well, I mean, to the point where if someone's gonna say that it's watercolor and they can't tell the difference between exactly. digital and watercolor, that's that's the yeah, Sup- yeah no, it's yeah. it, like, right there. That's I'd, the biggest problem with computer stuff, is that a lot of the time you can see it's just too perfect. It's obvious that it's on the computer, it loses some of that charm. Yeah. And her stuff <laughs> maintains loads of charm. And it's yeah. it is completely computer. I mean, she she does the sketches in hand by hand, as far as I know, last mm-hmm. time we talked about it. And then scans it on, but she could just as easily be sketching on the computer and going all the way from there. So, well, but I do, have, I get the feeling that she does sketch by hand. Like, if you have issue one, the copy of issue one, and you look at the very, very back page, she shows you sketch work. You're right. So she does do sketch work, of course. But, but the lion's share of this is created, like all you know. I think all of the inking, all of the colors. That's that's con- that's computer, and it's done masterfully because it doesn't look like it was done on a computer. It looks like it was not done on a computer to the point where you you're sort of left going like, I wonder. How she really did do this, you know, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, there was actually something where I had to do a bit of a double take, though, story wise. When Sion finally opens up one of the wads of paper that Eileen's been throwing at him, and he looks at it and and it says, like, this is what I think your character looks or what she looks like. I was like, but wait a second, shouldn't we already know what that is? Because when you first see the book, there's actually an image in the book. But then I realized, oh, wait, you're seeing the images, but you're she's actually reading the book. And so it's like she doesn't know what the caretaker, the real like the main character actually looks like. Oh, so you're thinking that there's no illustrations in the book, that it's just just text. Well, part of it is illustrations. But because she sent that, I was like curious, why would she send that if you already know what the caretaker looks like? I think it's like it's fan art. I think it's, you know, here's how I see your character. It wasn't, this is what I think she looks like. She's like, here's how I see her. Okay. You know, so I think that maybe it was more of an interpretation or her just wanting to draw the character. I I kind of assumed that the the book had art in it, that it wasn't just text. If you look at the page where she first opens the book, it has has illustration. Yeah, Yeah, there's an illustration. So 
I didn't know if all the pages had illustration or if, you know, there was an opening page that had illustration and some of it was, some of it wasn't, but it was a lot of just... I think that she's being a fan of it yeah. and making a drawing yeah, and sending it to him and saying, here's how I see her. And know? this is kind of also back to my point of what I was saying before, where this is great if you read with a bunch of people, because yeah. now you can have debates as to totally. what's going on and get yeah, different ideas. And, and the thing is, is that none of us are really unclear about the core storyline yeah if something goes on none of us don't understand something yes but we may have interpreted it a little bit different because some of it's well, actually a lot of it's left up to interpretation the minute to minute conversations you know we could be kind of throwing in our own ideas of what's going on so it's it's very cool it's very successful and definitely not not your sort of normal fare if there, was, if there was some sort of magic that could pull characters out of this book and eily came out of this book and then was doing fan art of Cian's comic and then <laughs> sold it at a convention. Would you yell at her? <laughs> Thanks for listening to Geek Life. Really <laughs> <much of you. laughs> oh, dude, I don't know. That's too complicated of a question. My opinions on fan art have grown and changed because after my little crazy complaining rant in the throes of being sick and tired, uh, literally sick and tired, I've thought about it a lot and I'm actually putting together a panel. I'd like to do or like a lecture type thing that that basically talks about how powerful it is or how much power the consumer has that, you know, when we buy things and we buy more of something or less of something else, that it basically shifts and changes the entire, you know, the, the entire economy of, you know, whatever industry. But specifically, we're talking about comic books, you know, and people are going to sell comics and make comics more particularly about things that people buy. If you only make stuff that nobody wants to buy, then it's just going to be for funsies forever. You know what I mean? And I think that that's one of the reasons why it's kind of cool that indie comic artists sort of go, Bleh, I'm going to do my own thing. But that's also a lot of the time why a lot of it falls flat on its face. It's because it isn't responsive to what's wanted. Anyway, so I think that uh, that whole sort of crazy rant has really grown in maturity a great deal and is coming together as a more complete thought and really more of a a call to arms or a challenge to us to be more conscientious consumers and know that when we're buying something, we're going to see more of what we bought as a collective group. And that if all we ever do is buy the same old stuff that we've always seen, but then sit around complaining that all we ever get and all we ever see is the same old stuff that we've always seen. And then we turn right around and go out and buy more people in tights. It's kind of like shut your face or change what you're getting and have some compassion about people taking a step outside of what is popular and the growing pains that are involved in that. Because it's not going to be polished because it hasn't been happening for 30, 40, 50 years. So anyway, that's a tiny piece of something I'm developing. And I think maybe we'll do an entire episode on it at some point. I was going to say, would you rather would you feel more comfortable doing a panel at a convention? Or would you want to do an I want to get out there episode? and talk about it. I want to get out there and talk about it. Because it comes from me feeling frustrated that people are so uninterested in patronizing or taking risks on independent and self-published comics. And that they're so much more willing to... Buy something that they're already familiar with or buy fan art of something that they're already familiar with. But then you often hear in the sort of geek comic book sort of realm community that people are complaining about, oh, it's just a bunch of superhero stuff or, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just, it's just, I think people aren't connecting the dots. And I think that it would be cool to talk about on a podcast. Absolutely. But I really want to go out into the world and challenge people to think, to think when they're buying stuff. To not just want, you know, bumble around and go like, oh, I like Spider-Man. I'm going to buy more Spider-Man stuff. It's like, cool, buy more Spider-Man stuff, but know that you're encouraging more Spider-Man. And if that's really what you want, and that's really what you want your influence to be is, I want more Spider-Man. Then cool, rock on. That's fine. It's good. Want what you want. But know that what you buy, you're going to get more of that because that's what the market will say. Hey, this is ripe. This is an opportunity to make money. And, you know, at the end of the day, people have to put, you know, artists have to feed their children, too. You know, you can't be like, I'm just going to draw what I care about. My children can eat dirt. It's like, no, that's not real. You have to have, you have to respond as an artist to what is wanted out there. So I think if we show that there's a market for things that are a little bit more different, a little bit more offbeat, and we're starting to see that with comic, with uh, creator own stuff, you know, things like what Mark Millar is doing. That's not normal comic book shit at all. No. At all. And it's popular. It is. It's successful because people are taking risks on it. So I don't know. I think. Uh, it's it's a big conversation for us to get into. I don't think that it's time to talk about it now. So maybe we'll talk about it on a podcast as well. 
But I feel like I want to go out there and try to do something to affect the culture because I felt frustrated and impotent about it. I didn't want to be another guy who was another comic book geek frustrated and complaining on, you know, like that's just lame. Like I felt like if I'm going to have an opinion about something, I should try and do something about it instead of just have that opinion and then spew it all over everybody. Why don't we have a, uh, a podcast that is all of that. Um, we do a full episode dedicated to yours and my opinion on fan art and the effects it's happening on the convention scene and independent artist. And we can involve John Harder maybe, and we can get a different, maybe have another creator somewhere. Sure. Melissa, we, we, if you'd like to join us on this one. Yeah, yeah that would be really interesting. Um, and then we can follow it up with the the panel, and that'll basically be people's, I mean, in addition to their comments on pandanaga.com, that'll be people's venue to live in person pick our brains on on totally. Our opinion. Well, and it's funny that you bring up maybe bring Melissa involved because Melissa's answer to our question of how do you feel about fan art way back when we were in, not even really that wasn't even a subject that we were thinking about fan art, good, bad, yes, no. Uh, we asked her about that because Marcus and I both are sort of in the camp of like, let's just try and make our own stuff. And, and she was like, yeah, that's true. That's what we want, ideally. But she had a much more sort of well-developed and mature perspective, which was fan art brings people to the table. And maybe they buy the fan art this time, and then next year, they've created a little bit of an emotional bank account with you. And they're like, oh, I, this person made this great print that I liked last year. I'm going to check out their comic book now. Or maybe it just makes them, pulls them to the table, and then they buy your comic book that time. You know, is it the heart, the deepest desire of a comic book or an independent publisher or comic creator to have people genuinely want, purchase, and ongoingly follow their own creation more than fan art that they might be making? Totally. But fan art kind of does have its place or its function, you know, and so she, it's not begrudging, but it's sort of like a, sort of a necessary evil was kind of the, my takeaway from that. And she didn't really use those words because she's, she's more kind of like, eh, hey, it's fine. But she's like, it, it has a purpose. It she's gets classy. people to the table. She's, she's not, oh, she's so classy. She's yeah. not crass like me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we can talk more about that Yeah, we're, we're, it's time. getting, it's, we're, we're rambling at this point. Uh, yes. Thanks for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at panamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at IndieComics, the number for all, and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pandamanga.com. Oh, and while you're at it, put, give us a four-star rating on iTunes. This is the Brian. We'll see you next time. Why not five star? Because there's no five star. It's oh, four. really? Four yeah. star. It's a four star system. Yeah, actually, that's something important, you guys. <laughs> Go rate us on iTunes. I know that sounds like like needy, but that makes a big difference. It really does. It The more ratings, the more actual reviews that we get on iTunes. iTunes is one of the biggest places people get a hold of, of podcasts. And if we can do something to climb up those ranks and be more relevant to searches that have something to do with what we're talking about, we get a lot more listeners. It will be a really, really awesome support for those of you guys that really are regular listeners and like like our work. And we, there's way more regular listeners than there are reviews, trust me. We would also be interested in hearing your comments and insights on Geek Life having its own Patreon account. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, head over to patreon.com and learn about the program. It's a great way to, uh, to raise funds for an ongoing creative project like Geek Life Podcast. Um, it's an exciting new way. It's essentially ongoing crowdfunding. So it's basically becoming a patron of X, Y, or Z, like the old days where somebody gets, you know, a regular monthly or per project amount of money or pledge essentially ongoingly. And it allows people, creative folks like ourselves here, like others out there on Patreon to be able to do what they do and not have to be beholden to, well, I sold this piece for this much and now can I make rent or not? You know, that kind of business. It actually allows them to go out and just freely create and and here's the fun part, give it away for free and not have to be looking to try and sell things all the time, which is kind of awesome to be able to just go out there and just be like, I want to do this. This is exciting. This is cool. And then people care about it and they, oh, you know, give you two, three dollars a month. Enough people do that. And there are people that make their living on Patreon and give away that what they do for free. It's pretty cool. And with that, we'll see you next time. Go read some comics.
of the subtle train bullshit that's happening right now. What if you forgot to edit that part out? And then Melissa's just like, what did you say? <laughs> train break. Okay. Not trains in my book. I don't understand what's happening. Is it still going? Yes. Well, I are. Well, the Yep. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs>